Welcome to The Corner with your host, Eric Stewart. Hey everyone, Eric Stewart here. Today's podcast is going to cover plain feel or immediate feel. Sometimes you'll hear that. So I think we'll have a good discussion and kind of give you some, some clarity on plain feel, how that comes about, and some things that you can do if you uh, end up having an incident where you come across something, some contraband, uh, as you're patting someone down for weapons, uh, for instance. So have a good discussion about how to move forward with that. So I'll start out with this by just giving a disclaimer that I typically do for all my podcasts, and here it goes. I'm not an attorney and make no claim to be an attorney. I developed these scenarios based on my 38 years of law enforcement experience, my professional application of the Fourth Amendment based on case law in the field as a law enforcement officer, and my extensive study of case law pertaining to search and seizure. I develop and am providing this presentation for information only. I make no claim that my interpretations and perceptions of case law provided in the answers to the scenarios are correct in any or all circumstances. All government agents and any other person gathering information from this presentation should consult their respective law enforcement agency, uh, city attorney's office, district attorney's office, state attorney general's office, or United States attorney's office, whichever one's applicable, maybe they all will be, uh, for their interpretation and application of this information. So let's get started. I'll first read you this uh, scenario and then let's talk about it. So give you an opportunity second or two after uh, I read it for you to kind of come up to this decision because if this is happening right in front of you, uh, you're going to have to make a decision of what you can do when, when you come across this. So while in the course of a valid pat-down search for weapons of an individual, a police officer pats down the outside of the individual's pocket and feels a small bulge, which the officer immediately recognized from training experience to be illegal narcotics. Can the officer reach into the pocket and recover the illegal narcotics without violating the individual's Fourth Amendment rights? What do you think about that? So bottom line, the answer is yes, you can reach into the pocket uh, without violating the individual's Fourth Amendment rights. So in uh, the Supreme Court, United States Supreme Court's decision in Minnesota versus Dickerson, the opinion stated this, if a police officer lawfully pats down a suspect's outer clothing and feels an object whose contour and mass makes identity immediately apparent, there has been no invasion of the suspect's privacy beyond the authorized, beyond that authorized by the officer's search for weapons. If the object is contraband, its warrantless seizure would be justified by the same practical considerations that adhere uh, in the plain view context. So that is Minnesota versus Dickerson. Uh, that's which is a 1993 case. That's a landmark case that kind of kind of covered immediate field plain field doctrine. So, in the state of Colorado, and we'll talk about that again. You know, I focus on that quite a bit. Uh, the Court of Appeals in People versus Rush Dooney, which was a 2004 case, uh, upheld. You know, actually cited Minnesota versus Dickerson, and it upheld the pat down uh, search of an individual. Actually, there was two people. Rush Dooney was obviously one of them. Uh, down in Douglas County back in, I don't know what year it was, but it was um, uh, the, uh, the appellate court made the decision in 2004. But the officer or the deputy was 
uh, checking behind some uh, strip mall, I believe it was, where there was a, a lot of uh, business burglaries going on after hours. And so came across Rush Dooney and another individual in a vehicle that was parked behind um, the buildings. Uh, ultimately contacted them, thinking that they might be casing the places to, to do a burglary. Patted Rush Dooney down, felt what uh, the officer believed to be a meth pipe or crack pipe, uh, removed it, and sure enough, that's what it was, and uh, Rush Dooney was arrested. Ultimately, the Court of Appeals upheld the pat-down and recovery of that contraband based on Minnesota v. Dickerson's ruling. So, uh, yes, in fact, officers can do that. Now, having said that, there's some things I would recommend you do as an officer when you come across this, because here's some things that, that have come up uh, with regards to this type of um, situation. My suggestion would be that when you pat the individual down, so you're patting the individual down for weapons, whether or not you got a consensual pat down or it was, you know, you're in the course of a valid pat down search um, based on a, a stop and you had reason to believe the individual's armed and dangerous, therefore it leads to a, the, the frisk of the individual. And again, when, you, when you're talking about pat downs, there are pat-downs of the outer clothing, bags, that kind of stuff, for weapons to make sure from an officer safety concern uh, what, that when you're dealing with this individual. And again, you can, you can ask for a consent to pat somebody down, but typically they come across as you've got reason to contact the individual because you believe that individual's engaged in some type of criminal activity or has just committed some kind of criminal activity, is engaged in it, right, or is going to engage in some kind of criminal activity and you have reason to believe this individual is armed and dangerous which allows you to pat them down so in the course of that pat down uh, you touch what you realize is not a weapon uh, but you believe it's contraband and, and let's just say you believe it is crack cocaine right so one of the first things that you should do in my opinion is say now do you have to no but here's some things to think about because it'll help you further the uh, charges being not only accepted by the DA's office, but probably overcoming a motion to suppress and, and potentially get a conviction out of this. So before you reach into the pocket, once you form the opinion that this individual has got crack cocaine on him, that's what you believe, you ask him, hey, what's in your pocket? And if the guy says, oh, that's my crack cocaine, if your probable cause, you had a certain level, and if we talk about that real quick, I'll throw this out to you. Probable cause. Probable cause is a probability, okay? So if we were looking at probable cause on a scale of one to 100, if we were using a mathematical equation for probable cause, one to 100, 100 being the most probable cause you could have, zero being you don't have any probable cause, where do you think on that scale probable cause would fall into? So I'll just give you a second to think about that. Where would it fall if we're looking at a mathematical equation of probable cause and what that, what that level would be to allow you in this instance to reach in the pocket? You got a number for you? So here's the, 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 the answer to that is really, it's kind of a trick question. The courts have never given an actual kind of a mathematical number for probable cause. In fact, the courts have said based probable cause, just like reasonable suspicion, is based on the totality of circumstances. So 
if you're looking at the totality of circumstances, the courts have actually said it could be less than 50%, but you have to base that on the totality of circumstances. So bottom line is, um, it's not 100%. And it may not even be 50%. It's based on that probability that that's what it is. So that's the first thing I want you to understand. So, so you form the opinion. I've got probable cause to believe that is crack cocaine in his pocket. Before you go into the pocket, my suggestion would be ask him. And again, if, if he ends up telling you, yeah, that's my crack cocaine. So again, if your probable cause was here, you just pegged it. It's 100% now based on what he said. Could you go into his pocket at that point? Absolutely, you could have. You could have gone into his pocket before that. But my suggestion is, again, to ask that question because that will help you or could potentially help you. So now he says, yes, that's my crack cocaine. Before you go in the pocket, another suggestion would be to say, hey, you don't have to let me, but do you mind if I go in your pocket and take out your crack cocaine? Now, more than likely, the guy's going to tell you, yeah, go ahead and do it. When you think about from a consent standpoint, what you have to have for consent is it's got to be knowing, it's got to be voluntary, and it's got to be intelligent. That's all you have to overcome those factors to get consent and for consent to kick in. Now, Colorado is unique from other states. In other states, pretty much adhere to the the federal or the Supreme Court's decision when it comes down to consent, and that being that if you ask somebody for consent, you don't necessarily have to tell them or try to make sure that they understand they have a right to refuse consent. You can just ask them, and if the person says, yeah, go ahead, you can do it. Colorado, back in 2010, passed a law that said one of the factors with consent is is that the individual has to uh, understand he or she has a right to refuse consent. You don't have to say, for instance, hey, do you mind if I search your pocket? Oh, and before you answer that question, understand you have a right to refuse. You can couch it any way you want as long as a reasonable person, and that's the standard they look at, would understand he or she had the right to refuse consent. So if you couched it in such a way to say, you don't have to let me, but do you mind if I search your pocket? for that crack cocaine, that's pretty clear to the court. A reasonable person would understand also that you just explained he doesn't have to give you that consent, so he does have the right to refuse, or she does. So at any rate, I would, I would recommend you do that from a consent standpoint. So now the person says, yeah, go ahead, get it. Well, you've got, you reach in the pocket and get it, great. So what do you have? You've got probable cause to believe that it is contraband in your own uh, opinion based on you touching that uh, during the course of the pat down. And remember, when it comes to immediate feel, the, the key to the Minnesota versus Dickerson and even people versus Rush Dooney case is that officers are not manipulating that um, pocket. So for instance, if you're patting the individual down, you're not now all of a sudden squeezing uh, what you believe to be that contraband or that crack cocaine. If you squeeze it to form that opinion, uh, you've lost it. That becomes a search. So it's just, I'm patting the person down. I, I touch it, and immediately upon touching it, I form that opinion. So you form that opinion. You get this statement. Now, you think about this statement. The guy says, yeah, that's my crack cocaine. Here's a question for you. Is, it, uh, is, is that question 
um, going to be suppressed? The answer, is that going to be suppressed based on Miranda? And the answer to that is no, it will not. So there are two things that you need for Miranda. You need uh, custody so that you're actually taking the person into custody or he's under arrest, understands he's under arrest, or, or and, I should say, uh, and you're interrogating him. If either one of those are missing, you don't have to Mirandize. So in this particular instance, this person right now, you're just investigating a crime or you're just, you've got consent to pat him down. At any rate, there's no custody situation. So if you ask him a question and he gives you a response that, that incriminates him, that's outside of Miranda. So that statement's going to come in. Now, if you continue to, once he tells you, oh, that's my crack cocaine, and you continue to start asking them more questions about that, then you are getting into a potential where the court could deem that beyond that, now you've created a custodial situation and those other questions and the answers that are, are given after that are going to get suppressed. But just that particular answer is not. So you've got that incriminating statement um, and then consent. Uh, again, uh, why you do this, uh, why should you do this? Because when it comes down to you relying on your probable cause. So, so for instance, say, say we change this or say we add this, we switch this. The guy doesn't give you consent and he doesn't even give you an incriminating statement. Let me, let me first address that. So you pat him down, you immediately recognize, ah, that's crack cocaine. You say to him, hey, dude, what's in your pocket? And he goes, uh, those are my Tic Tacs. And so he's not giving you a statement. It's not incriminating. He's telling you there is, is Tic Tacs. So then you say to him, hey, you don't have to let me, but do you mind if I reach in your pocket and grab your Tic Tacs and remove them? And he says, no, no, I don't want you doing that. I don't like anybody touching my Tic Tacs. Well, now you don't have a statement. Now you don't have consent. What do you do? And the answer is you reach in his pocket and take out his crack cocaine. Why? Because you had probable cause in the first place. So the reason I tell you do these steps, even though you had probable cause, again, one is if the guy gives you that statement that he did, you peg your probable cause, that's going to help you tremendously. Um, and you get consent. And why do I say to do this? Here's the reason why. If you have... Say, for instance, you, you end up doing this. This is your particular case that you do this incident. And you go and file the case or your detective files the case, depending on your organization. And it goes to a DA and you got an intake DA that's reviewing this that doesn't believe that any police officer could ever form the opinion based on just an immediate feel uh, that somebody's carrying some kind of contraband, even though Minnesota versus Dickerson has upheld such type pat-downs, uh, which led to contraband. People versus Rush Dooney has done that as well. But you have a DA, maybe is not even familiar with these cases, but certainly uh, if the DA is, the DA doesn't believe that anybody could do this, then the, there's a good chance that DA is not going to accept those charges. Now, having said that, if the DA does and accepts those charges, and now you're in a motion to suppress and you end up having a judge that doesn't believe that any cop can touch anything and form that opinion, uh, you know, touch anything in a pocket and then immediately recognize that to be contraband. Uh, 
there's a good chance from a judge standpoint on a, on a motion to suppress is that that's going to get suppressed because of that, that judge's opinion. So what then, why, why do I tell you to do this? Because this helps you overcome those kinds of situations. If you get an incriminating statement that is outside of Miranda, for those people, whether it's the intake DA or it's the judge that doesn't believe any cop could do something like this, well, here's their out. You just got a statement that says, yeah, that's in fact, you know, crack cocaine in my pocket. That's going to help you overcome that plain field uh, issue because now he's just told you, yes, that's dope in my pocket. Take that beyond that. If you ask for consent and the guy says, yeah, go ahead and get it. As long as the consent is knowing, voluntary, and intelligent, then the consent comes in. So again, you're, you're kind of covering yourself with a couple of other options for you beyond just patting them down, touching it, and reaching in the pocket and grabbing it. Because there are going to be instances where you're going to run into DAs or judges that don't believe any officer can do this. It's kind of an interesting deal that they don't uh, because they've never been around it. They don't know about it. They just think that, well, how, how do you do this? I end up having a discussion with a DA about this very topic because the biggest issue came in with a lot of this is if you use jargon, if you're trained to just say, based on my training and experience, I formed the opinion that that was crack cocaine, so I reached in the pocket and grabbed it, and sure enough, there it was. You're going to have to get on the stand and explain what your training experience is. And this is where DAs get very uncomfortable, is that if you've never done this before, or you've only been a cop a couple of years, you never arrested anybody on a, on a plain field type of a deal, never came in contact with contraband on a plane, it's going to be hard for you to overcome your training and experience. So first of all, I would suggest don't just write that type of jargon in your report. Um, if you're a fairly new officer or even a, a seasoned officer, if you know, maybe you can start thinking about how, how many times have I arrested people for cocaine, for crack cocaine, if we're just going to use this, right? How many times have I had to field test it? How many times have I had to book it as evidence, weigh it, all that stuff? So how many times have I had to actually touch it? If you were in the academy, which you should have been at some point, um, and maybe you got some training in narcotics training in the academy, my suggestion to you, instead of using that training experience jargon, start jotting all of that stuff down. Especially in this age of computers where everything, you know, your police reports are all computerized anymore. You use, uh, you know, Word to, to, to write your reports. Start thinking about building your resume on this type of stuff, right? And so how many times have you arrested somebody? How much training have you had in this area? How many, how many times have you booked dope? How many times have you weighed dope? How many times have you tested dope? So that you can put this down into your... Uh, put it on a thumb drive in a Word document. And then every time that you have situations where you need to explain your training and experience in narcotics uh, recognition, for instance, you can just take that thumb drive, plug it in, and use that as part of your report. Because I can tell you when I talked to this DA, intake DA about this, 
uh, he told me the biggest problem that they have with officers a lot of times is that because of the jargon in their training and experience and they get them on the stand and either they have to ask that question or the defense asks that question and then they, they find out that the officers don't really have a lot of training and experience in these types of situations, these plain field types of situations. And that makes it very difficult for the judge to rule uh, that you are credible in your argument that you touch something and immediately recognize it to, by your training and experience to be whatever it is. So put that on a thumb drive and start using that. And again, you're going to get DAs that don't like this. You're going to get judges that don't like and don't believe that, that any officers can do this. As I mentioned, I talked to a DA once about this, and I said, well, let me, let me use this situation or, or a kind of a different type of a example to hit this home that officers could actually do, especially if they've done this a, a number of occasions or they've handled dope enough time. You, you think about when, you know, all of us have done this. You're leaving the house, you're gonna go get in your car, and you're like, oh, what did I do with my keys? And what do you, what's the first thing you do, right? If they're not actually in your hand, um, you probably go to your pocket and you touch your pocket and you can touch your pocket and you don't have to go and squeeze it, and manipulate it to figure out that that's your keys. You touch it, you can immediately recognize, yep, that's what keys feel like. Why? Because I handle them every day, because I use them all the time, because they're in my pocket. I know what they feel like. So I can form the opinion that those are my keys and reach in the pocket and sure enough, get them and get in your car and leave. So that was the argument or the kind of the articulation example I used for this DA. And he's like, okay, I get it now. But that's the expectation that at least this DA had. Uh, and in this particular jurisdiction, the DA's office had is that was kind of the articulation that they wanted from officers about their own training experience when it came to using, you know, or to, 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 being able to overcome immediate feel. So my suggestion is, uh, well, I'll back up. Takeaways, immediate feel, plain feel. If you are in the course of a pat-down search for weapons and you come across what you re realize is not a weapon, but it is contraband, and that's the opinion they made, you do have probable cause to go in the pocket. Now, one of the things that'll happen in court is you'll have uh, DA or not, excuse me, not DAs, public defenders or defense attorneys that, that hope that you're ignorant to the law or what you can do. And this is why it's really important to study case law and know when cases change. So you're patting somebody down under a Terry rationale. But as soon as you touch that contraband and realize that that is not a weapon, but it is contraband, Terry v. Ohio is not applicable anymore uh, in this regard to recover that, that narcotics. But what is applicable is, you know, Minnesota v. Dickerson or, of course, in our, our state of Colorado, People v. Rush Dooney. You need to know that because, quite frankly, if you don't know that, and I've heard officers say this when I've, when I've brought this scenario up, they'll tell me, no, you can't go in the pocket. I'll say, how come? Well, because you're looking for weapons, and since it's not a weapon, there's no way you can go in the pocket and recover what you might think is dope. So again, educate yourself. Understand that Terry no longer is applicable. Minnesota versus Dickerson is. A big piece of all the podcasts I'll be going forward with, and even talking about this one, 
is I really want you to understand the constitutional reasons why you can do what you can do, the legal theories behind why you can do what you can do, and when case law changes. Because again, this stuff is unfolding in front of you right as you're doing it, and you need to know how to navigate through case law. Okay, this is no longer applicable, but this is which allows me to do that. So I hope you found this valuable. And again, you can do this. Just make sure that you explain your training experience um, and then take the opportunity before you actually go in the pocket, if, it's, if you can do it, to ask them what's in your pocket. And then from that, even if he gives you an incriminating statement, ask them for consent before you go in the pocket. Because the bottom line is you don't get the statement and you don't get consent, you're going in anyway. But I strongly encourage you to do both because it will help you overcome any kind of arguments that are made, whether it's from the DA's office, whether it's from a judge or even a, a public defender or defense attorney uh, in making sure that the arrest uh, charges are gonna be applicable in the arrest and you'll get a conviction or at least a plea. So I hope this explains things to you from a plain field, immediate field doctrine. Again, if you have any questions, reach out to me. If you have other scenarios you want me to cover, reach out to me. If you have questions specific to this where you've, you've seen things that you need some clarification on, reach out to me. I'm more than happy to answer that question. And this could field again, this could go into a different podcast depending on what questions you have. But hopefully this explains it. And again, if you have any other questions, reach out to me and look forward to the other podcasts coming forward. And I, I thank you for listening and you know, good luck. Um, I wish you well. And until next time, uh, take care, be safe. I'll see you later. Thanks, bye.